You're listening to the Valley College Connection Podcast, where John Kawai and Scott Wigan, two Valley professors, engage in a conversation about success with educators and students. Each week, they'll sit down with a different guest to find out ways each of us have had to plan, persevere, and overcome to be where we are now. The show will also highlight resources and services that are working to make a difference at Los Angeles Valley College. John and Scott believe that all of us, and the college itself, are a work in progress. And in this podcast, they'll explore on a more personal level how the community can work together to support each other as we move forward with our goals. We are with a special guest, Anna Trujillo, who is a professor in the mathematics department here at Los Angeles Valley College. Thank you for joining us, Anna. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Our pleasure. So we uh, we wanted to, to chat with you a little bit today and find out a little bit more about your background, um, sort of what led you here to Valley College and, and sort of see where the conversation takes us. Um, so, so with that, um, if you could please provide us with um, some, some information as to, to where you came from, who you are, where, how did you get to Valley? <laughs> Ooh, hi everyone. So yes, um, I came to the Valley starting uh, from Mexico. So I was born and raised in Mexico. Um, I migrated here when I was 16 years old, um, and I come from a very low-income family. Um, and to start kind of like saying more about my background, how did I end up first here in the United States was because my dad uh, left the family when I was two years old, and he migrated um, to work and to support the family. And he became a legal resident when in the... 80s during the amnesty, and um, we became legal, like permanent resident by sometime in the 90s, but he was so afraid to pay the rent all the time, so he, he was very hesitant to bring us over. And um, um, and I think it was a reason because the, the cost of living in, in LA was, is very difficult, so he was always afraid of the income. Uh, so eventually, uh, over the, the time, I was reaching to the age where I was 16 years old, and literally I forced my dad to bring me over, to bring my sister and my mom. And the reason for that was because uh, my older two brothers, they, um, they couldn't go to university because my dad couldn't afford it. And we were, we were raised in this town in Mexico where... Um, professional life was not talked about. Um, the life of uh, after high school was not talked about. It was just get married, and I didn't. I know I didn't know I didn't want that life. And um, I at 16, I forced myself, my dad, to bring me over, even though I had no idea what the U.S. life was going to be. I just knew I had to get out of there. I didn't want to get married and have kids, and that's it. I wanted to continue being an educated uh, person, but it could, uh, I wanted to be academically educated. I wanted to be a professional. So I came over at 16. I forced my dad. He didn't really have a choice. I was either you take me or you take me. You don't have a choice. <laughs> uh, and, and, and quick, quick question for you, Anna. How, how long was your dad here before, um, before you came over then? Well, he was. Well, he would visit us every year okay. after he became a legal resident. But he was, 
here since I was two years old. Oh, wow. And okay. I came to live with him until I was 16. Okay. Okay. Uh-huh. And had you come to the United States before you were 16 to visit at all? I will come to visit just for two weeks to visit Disneyland, <laughs> uh, Universal Studios, and that was it. <laughs> Go back home. And um, so I didn't know anything about education in the U.S. I just knew that it was a big city, and I somehow was going to be able to find my way out. So I came at 16. I started high school, uh, Roosevelt High School in Boyle Heights. And uh, the culture was very shocking. Um, and I faced many challenges. We could talk about those in detail. Um, and then eventually I started my education at ELAC, uh, East LA College. And uh, before I started at ELAC, I was debating what to study. I was either debating between becoming a fashion designer mm-hmm. or a math teacher. Huh. So <laughs> when, I, when I look into schools, the price and everything, I noticed that there was no way my parents could afford to pay for uh, fashion school. So I decided to, okay, then there is an option to become a math teacher. And somehow I was able to get information about a community college. Hmm. Now, can I interrupt you for just a second here? So where, where did the, uh, the, the desire for, for becoming a math teacher come from? Because those seem like two pretty different you know, goals, fashion designer and math teacher. I'm sure there's, there's crossover. But where did that come from? Was there a you know, love of math in your family? Was it a subject that you excelled at? Um, I think I was born as a nerd, <laughs> to be more specific. Uh, I think my parents uh, didn't know how to handle that. So I was born a little different. I have always known that I'm very different compared to my, to my family. Um, since I was four years old, I remember I was telling my mom, can you teach me to read? Mm. And my mom always thought that it was a weird thing, so she never made an effort to teach me to read. Mm. And um, through, I went to school, first grade, second grade, and so on. I was always really good in math. Okay. And I remember since uh, fifth or sixth grade, uh, math was just easy for me. Mm-hmm. It was very interesting. And even though I was um, artistic because I wanted to learn how to paint, I wanted to learn how to do ceramics, uh, I was getting involved into all of that. But besides that, I was always reading. <laughs> I was always solving math problems for fun. Mm-hmm. And at the end, I just knew that some of my uh, favorite subjects was math. Oh, okay. Uh-huh. Okay, interesting. Yeah. So were you at, uh, so this was, um, was Jaime Escalante still at Garfield at this time, your rival? Was that during yes. that whole era? Um, I don't think so. Okay. I, the professor, right? right? No, 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 I don't think so. Okay. Yeah. And then what were the challenges that you met when you first immigrated at Roosevelt? Well, first of all, um, I come from a little town where did the size of my school, I want to say it was probably like no more than 500 students. And Roosevelt, it was, I'm not sure if it was like 3,000, 4,000 at a mm-hmm. time. Wow. So um, being um, in, just facing this huge population in a school was overwhelming. Now, besides that, of course, the language. So I came knowing nothing of English. So I had to learn from zero. And I would say that that was one of the most difficult things to, for me. 
Oh, I, uh-huh. I, I can only imagine. Yeah, so, so you came here without speaking English at all, and then you're you're you know immersed into this this high school with three four thousand students there. Um, what what sort of programs were you were you placed into? Was it was there something that was set up to accommodate a, a, a English language learner at the high school, or what yes. did that look like? Yes, there was a, an ESL program, um, so I was placed in the lowest level. Um, that was the first time. It was very shocking, I guess, in my opinion, because uh, I arrived uh, 16 years old. That means I was already a junior, junior mm-hmm. in high school. And when I got placed in high school, they just told me, okay, this is your ESL class, um, level one. And my math class was algebra one. Mm-hmm. And, and back in Mexico, since I'm telling you I'm a nerd, <laughs> I was very advanced in my math. So I was ready to be trigonometry per calculus level. And when I came in and I saw um, my classmates being seniors or juniors and not knowing algebra one, for me was a little shocking and I didn't understand why. Why would they were seniors taking basic skills math? And eventually through my, I think my teacher for the ESL uh, class, she noticed that I was very smart. So she told me I could move you to a higher level or even two higher levels mm-hmm. if you want. And I said, sure, you know, move me up. And um, so I found out that I could request to my counselor through her to move me le- higher levels. Uh, so when I went to talk to my counselor, he was one of my obstacles. <laughs> uh. Uh, he He was very... Not supportive, I guess, to say, because he tried to intimidate me to tell me why the next uh, level for ESL is full. There is no more room. Hmm. And if if I jump you to two levels, that's going to be very difficult. And I say, I don't care. Hmm. I want to be two levels higher. And um, I went to two levels higher, and... And I asked him also, can, so then can, I, can you jump me more math levels? And he's like, well, I could place it to geometry. Sure, place it to geometry. <laughs> something you had already done in Mexico. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> sure, place me something higher. Yeah. Um, so when I got to, to these levels in my math and English, again, my ESL teacher, or second language class, uh, she was very happy with me, so she told me, okay, I'm going to jump you another level. <laughs> so they kept on uh, skipping me levels. And um, in the math class, and I found out about the high masculinity program uh, that I could take it at ELAC. Uh, okay. So I started getting involved into other things. And then I found out um, that I could go to night classes and take more classes so I could f- complete my requirements to graduate from high school. Uh-huh. Where were the night classes at? Was that at ELAC or was that through the no, high school? No, it was or? through the high school at okay. Roosevelt High School. Okay. Uh-huh, okay. Location-wise. So I was doing this and I mean, I was taking all classes possible to graduate and my language was a difficulty and I would grab a book and I would have my translator dictionary mm-hmm. with me at all times and I would translate every single word I didn't understand. It would take me seven hours to complete an assignment but I would translate everything. Wow. Right. So, right. so I would work so hard. And what, what kind of support were you getting at home while you were doing all this work? Was your, was your father and mother supportive of okay this is what Anna's interested in academically? 
No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, they were just okay with me staying in my corner for seven hours and not moving from there because, like I told you, we were very low income. So we were, we were a family of four living in a single. So, okay. then, so I had to have my own corner. Right. Um, then eventually I found out that there is a continuation high school where you work at your own pace. Oh, okay, right. Um, I wasn't sure about that, so then uh, when I finished my first year of high school, I went back to my counselor, and he wanted to give me a music class, an art class, and all these non-academic classes I needed to graduate. So when I told him, can you give me physics? Can you give me chemistry? Can you give me all of these classes? He said, no, you're not ready for it. Uh. So I wonder well, how did he know that I was not ready for it? Right. And, then I, and then I told him, why, if you don't give me those classes, then I'm going to drop out of this high school, and I'm going to go to a continuation. And he said, sure, you could do that, but you will not graduate. Mm. And if you even you graduate, you will not go to college. That's wow. what he said. Oh, gosh. So that's what I'm telling you. My counselor was the most supportive person that came in my life. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he was the one that just telling me, no, you're not going to make it. Did... did um. Did his, his, his counseling, so to speak, did that sort of inspire you? Like, if you're going to tell me no, then I'm going to show you that I can? Or was it more of something that, hey, this is, this is somebody who's supposed to have expertise, I should listen to him? Uh, no, I believe that um, I was always very reveled, I guess, against into many things. Okay. Even like when my mom would tell me, uh, you have to learn to cook because you're going to get married. Mm-hmm. I will fight with her and I will tell her, no, <laughs> I will pay a cook. <laughs> so I always had that mentality. And I, at some point, I'm glad that I had that mentality because when all this negativity came through my life, somehow I was able to overcome them. Right, right. Mm-hmm. So I was always like fighting for whatever I wanted. Okay. Even though it was very difficult to get to there, I was always fighting for it. Yeah, it seems like as, you, as you're telling your story that there was, there was the pushback against the conventions that your family thought that you should, you should yes. be pursuing. And then as you yes. made your way into Roosevelt, here's, here's a counselor telling you what you should do. And you're saying, no, there's some, something else that I have in mind, something else that I see for my future that, yes. that I'm going to be pursuing. Yeah. Oh, interesting. So I didn't listen to him. I went to the continuation high school. I was working nonstop, um, even for my English class. Eventually, I became a regular English level mm-hmm. in okay. high school. And the requirement for our classes were read a book, take a test on the book, like a quiz, like 20 questions on the book. If you pass it, then write an essay, and then you get points for you to complete the class. So I placed first place in reading. Mm-hmm. So I was the person that read the most books in wow. the continuation high school. And um, through the principal, he was very supportive, actually. He was actually supportive. He was the one that started giving me information about the community college. Ah, uh, okay. So from him, I found out that, oh, I could go to a community college, and if I don't have money, I could apply for a fee waiver and I don't have to worry about anything else. And then, wow, just to get registered to my class. Right, so, that, right. so that's sort of marking the transition as you're sort of coming perhaps to the end of your, your, your high school yes. sort of experience to, to moving towards yes. community college. Yes. Okay. But then, uh, when I was finishing high school, 
Um, then it was my dad, who, who has this macho mentality that you don't educate women mm-hmm. because women will get pregnant, will get married, and then their education is going to the trash. Mm-hmm. So my dad always had that mentality, and I had to even go against my dad's will. Right, mm-hmm. right. So he said, just go to a, how do you call those, the schools? With, a trade school? Like a trade school, uh-huh, to get something short, finish, get a good job that pays $13 an hour. Mm-hmm. And I said, no, I don't want $13 an hour and more. All right, all right. <laughs> and um, I, uh, that's how I just went against my dad. I started at ELAC. I didn't know anything at ELAC. Um, and in order for me to get through ELAC, um, I was the type of person that I would read the entire catalog mm-hmm. to find the answers of my doubts. Um, if I will find a flyer that says, oh, there is this workshop of how to write an essay, I will go. If there is a tutoring center, I will go. I will right. go to every single thing. And that's how I start getting into, um, cl- little by little, start talking to people that were involved into science, math majors, and I came across the MESA program. Okay. I like that math, engineering, and science. And through them, um, it was a great experience because I started building my own community of people with my same goals. Mm-hmm. Like we all science, we're going through the same struggle. And it was like a supportive group. And even though it was very difficult, we were able to actually go through that whole process of uh, finishing at ELAC and transferring. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. So was there ever a time when you were at ELAC that you had trouble with a particular class or uh, with a particular professor, or was that fairly smooth for you? No, it was always a challenge. <laughs> I consider myself that even though I was a nerd, um, I was not a straight A student. So I will get Bs. Some classes I will get Cs. Mainly Cs were like psychology, mm-hmm. kind of studies where you have to read a lot, and I will get far, far behind. So I think, um, I mean, I started at like two years after I immigrated. So I had to struggle with learning all my math and still learning the language. Mm-hmm. So I feel like that fact I had to be learning the language, uh, it will hold me a little bit back mm-hmm. for to get my A's in my math classes. Right. Um, I mean, I remember being in trigonometry, and I remember getting stuck in my homework at 2 in the morning. And it was not easy. Right. <laughs> what do you think was the, what were the things that you learned to do that helped you become more successful as you transitioned from trig to calc, since that's who we are teaching now? Um, like I tell my students, you really have to work hard. You really have to make a sacrifice. If we're not willing to make a sacrifice, then that's when the problem comes in. Mm-hmm. And by my sacrifice, I mean that it was not easy to be staying up at ten, until 2 3 in the morning. Mm-hmm. And then... Um, by the time I was at ELAC, we had already a two-bedroom apartment at my house. But then when I was doing my homework, I would be in the kitchen. And sometimes just being in the kitchen, sometimes it's not the best environment. Sure. You get exposed to talk to everybody, and they don't know to listen to you. And for instance, um, another kind of obstacle I came through, it was that 
eventually when I was like in my calculus series and it gets more difficult, I was so excited when I would find places that would stay open until two in the morning, a mm-hmm. Starbucks, a coffee bean, a library. And I remember struggling with my mom because she wouldn't believe me that I was studying until two in the morning. She was like, no, you're partying with your friends or you're doing Mm -hmm. something Mm -hmm. you're not supposed to. And it was a bit of shocking, I would say, because I was literally crying, telling her, I'm trying, (laughs) I'm working so hard and you don't see it, you know. Eventually, uh, one person that was kind of close to us, that he graduated from Cal Poly Pomona, he told my mom, it is true, we do study right, <laughs> until right. those hours. Yeah. And after that, that's when my mom stopped fighting with me. Mm-hmm. So some, sometimes perhaps that uh, outside perspective is, is a way of persuading parents that, that no, there's something you know, more that I'm doing here, yeah, something yeah. that you're not perhaps seeing. Because the, the way you're describing it is something that um, is, is sort of a familiar narrative to me as I've talked with students um, you know, over the years in terms of, of not sort of having the familial support of, of mom and dad really mm-hmm. understanding the amount of time and effort and work that's required to be yes. successful in school and, and almost to the point um, in, in some instances where, where the, the parents are discouraging their child to, to do it. Um, and then you're, as you describe your story as well, that you, all along the way, it seems like you were able to identify what we call now, you know, help-seeking behavior, um, where you, whether it was reading the entire catalog um, whether it was, you know, finding perhaps the, the right group to study with or, as you're describing at home, um, understanding that I can't really work at home here in the kitchen, so instead I'm going to find a place outside of it and take more control over my environment. Mm-hmm. Those are characteristics a lot of times that we, uh, we typically associate with students who, whose parents went to college, um, who have a, an environment sometimes where they really are supportive. And so it, I think it's... Uh, it's really interesting and inspiring to hear how you, you know, you discovered this on your own mm-hmm. in a way sort of along the way. I wonder, I wonder where that came from. You know, how, <laughs> how was it that you were able to sort of do that? Because, again, at the college here, one of the things that we've been talking about in the tutoring area is that um, a lot of times the, the students who would benefit from tutoring aren't using it. Um, and so, you know, we like to say, well, perhaps they don't have the help-seeking skills. They don't know how to ask for help or where to ask for help. But, again, your, your story is a... a complete counterpoint to that. Yeah. Someone who's new to the, the country, new to the language, but yet has this incredible drive um, and understands how to how to get the help that she needs. Mm-hmm. Where do you, I mean, any, any ideas on where that came from for you? I mean, I guess it was a motivation just to um, moving forward. And because it's very difficult, um, I find it, I mean, when, since I was a student at ELAC, eventually I became a tutor at the MAP. Uh-huh. tutoring lab okay. and um, and I know the difficulty many times is students don't want to ask for help mm-hmm. they feel that asking for help is to show that you're not good enough that you're dumb that they start thinking all of these right. different things some sign of weakness yes yeah. and I mean eventually throughout the time um, I remember um, approaching students and asking oh what was your was um, what you need help on and they would tell me, first of all, I'm very stupid in math. And I would tell you, first of all, you don't say that. <laughs> <laughs> and because um, it's always very common. You hear that from students. And I mean, I had to overcome that because, first of all, my language was so bad. 
I had to learn. And then eventually, at some, at some point, I didn't even know how to communicate, how to ask the correct way. And, but I will have to find my way. And even how to transfer. I, didn't, I started at ELAC. I didn't know I have to transfer. Eventually, somebody told me, oh, you're supposed to complete this requirement so you can move out of here. Mm-hmm. And then I'm like, oh, okay, you're supposed to get out of here. Okay, sure, I'll get out of here. Okay. Um, but I had to overcome the feeling of embarrassment of asking the question. Right, uh-huh. right. Because I feel that that's many of the problems that we don't want to ask. We feel embarrassed. Right, right. So I was double embarrassed because I had to ask a question, and then sometimes they don't understand me because my language was so bad. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just something that we really have to overcome. So as you describe. Your, your, your story here then, you had this you know, incredible, which you, you, you kind of, I think, painted the picture in the beginning, uh, an incredible motivation to, to sort of pursue this academic sort of, of, of pathway. Yes. And it brought you from, from Mexico to, to Los Angeles, to Roosevelt, to ELAC. You get the information now at ELAC that, okay, you, know, you have to transfer beyond here. What were your next steps as you moved from ELAC to, to the university then? So my next step was, um, um, during MESA, it was like the best program I got. I started as a volunteer tutor, and they did this great thing that they recommended me to uh, an internship at UCLA. Nah. So everybody's excited, right? Uh, everyone is excited for me, even. I'm like, okay, I'm not, sure, I'm not sure what I'm getting into. I didn't even know what an internship was. Uh, and even I remember that the person they spoke with, uh, he said, okay, I'll talk to her and I'll have her call you back because he wanted to make sure he, I understood first what they were talking to me. So it was an internship offered to me. I went to UCLA as an intern and I didn't like it being there. Mm. So I don't know why. I don't know. And then eventually... <laughs> something just didn't click being there. <laughs> something didn't there. click. Okay. Now, when I became... Um, um, when I finished all my transfer courses and I was ready to apply to all these places... So I applied to Santa Barbara, San Diego, UCLA, one more I don't remember, in many call states. So I get accepted into every single school. Uh-huh. So everybody tells me, you have to go to UCLA. And I was thinking, I didn't like being there when I was an intern. But people kept on telling me, it's going to look good in your resume, so and so and so. So I decided to transfer to UCLA, and I was never happy there. Uh-huh. I felt very lonely, mm-hmm. and I think because uh, my language was still like a barrier for me to socialize, um, just the environment didn't click for me. Um, I was never happy, and then at some point, I'm like, I have to get out of here. Mm-hmm. So it was very difficult to accept to leave UCLA because right. it was a dream school for many right. and I was not happy there right right again the rebellious streak in Anna <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> comes through <laughs> yeah so I felt like the only the only reason that I went there was because I had all this feedback about many people telling me you have to go to UCLA um so at some point I said you know what I can't handle it more I was there for two quarters and I was miserable. I miss home because I had a mom behind me always telling me, you have to come back home. Mm-hmm. Why are you over there? And da, 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 da. So um, I feel like also when your parents don't let you fly mm-hmm. and they, they put all these fears in your head, then it's difficult to, to face it. I end up moving back home. 
and I moved to Castro Lake. Ah, okay. And I was fine after all. I met a lot of Asian friends, and I'm so happy because I love Asian food. <laughs> <laughs> I learned to use my chopsticks. <laughs> uh, I learned to eat sushi. Uh, so I really, really enjoyed uh, being at Casa de LA. Mm -hmm. And when people would tell me, oh, UCLA is better than Costa LA, I would question that a lot because my professors from Costa de LA were not different from the ones at UCLA. Mm -hmm. I feel that my professors at uh, Costa de LA were as bright. Mm -hmm. They were good professors. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I don't see the difference. Right. You know, I don't right. see it. I was, um, I mean, by the time I transferred, I had only like maybe four, three quarters to complete my everything. And I finished uh, my bachelor's. And then, now the, the, the best thing I did while I was a student, it was that um, I thought I wanted to be a high school teacher. Uh, okay. So in order for me to decide if I wanted to be a high school teacher, I always feel like, okay, you have to test the water. You have to be exposed to see if you actually like it or right, not. Right, So I became a high school tutor, I mean TA. Okay. Uh, at Bell High School. Mm -hmm. And I was there for a whole year, and I realized I didn't like it. Mm. I didn't like to notice. I guess, um, I guess at some point it was very depressing for me um, that I was helping the counseling office. Mm -hmm. And for me, it was shocking to see transcripts from students that will fail everything, and they will be promoted to the next level. Uh -huh. And then it took me back to think about, okay, no wonder when I was a high school student, I was so advanced and students were not right, to, to the right. high school level. Yes, give you some insight into what was going on when yes, you were a high school yes. student. So I was wondering, why are we taking students to the next level when they're not ready? Mm -hmm. And then I said, well, I don't want to teach these students that will not take it seriously because even if they fail, they get promoted. Right. I was not. I didn't agree with that. So I said, no, I don't think I could deal with this political behind idea of this. Mm -hmm. And I said, I cannot do this. Now, when I was a student at ELAC, I remember my professors will tell me, you have to become a college professor. And I would say, oh, my God, that seems impossible for right. me. <laughs> it's like dreaming too high. Right. So the high school experience opened my eyes. And I said, yes, definitely, I would like to become a college professor. Besides, I worked at the tutoring with college students, mm -hmm. and I really enjoyed it. Right, right. So feedback about, yes, you could do it, and being exposed to it, it really opened my eyes. I like, sure, I could do college teaching. Mm -hmm. Which is such a different sort of story than uh, your high school counselor was telling you in terms of all the things you couldn't do. Yes. And then here you are at ELAC, and, and you have, you know, you're surrounded by people who are, who are saying, here's what you can do, which yes. is actually, you know, yes. beyond what you were initially thinking was possible. Yes. They even recommended me to UCLA. So mm -hmm. even when I went to UCLA as an intern, it, it was an invitation mm -hmm. because my professors recommended me, and they said, we have this bright student. Right. So it was totally different, like right. you said. Um, so by the time I finished my bachelor's, it was um, a December, like to finish mm -hmm. it in a fall. I had applied for, for Cal State Long Beach for my master's. And the reason why I wanted to go to Long Beach was because they have a graduate program in statistics. Ah, uh, okay. 
Um, so the reason I wanted to go for statistics was because when I was a, prof uh, a student at ELAC, my professor said, if you want to guarantee a job in teaching, make sure you teach math. Okay. Now, if you want to guarantee that you teach math, make sure you teach statistics. Ah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so that was like a ring, ring, <laughs> like a bell telling me, okay, I have to take statistics. So I took the statistics at the ELAC level. Then I transferred to Castle Lake, took more, two more statistics classes, the only ones they had there. And I really liked it. So when I trans, I looked for a school with a statistics program, and it was Long Beach. Okay, I give the same advice to my niece. So she wants my job, <laughs> and I said, you know, the first thing you got to do is go get a master's in statistics. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Yes, and so I, I, so it was finishing the fall semester. I was already accepted for the spring semester, but it was recession time, mm. and. I get a letter that says we cannot admit any students for the spring semester. Right, right. So you have to reapply. Okay. And then until the fall, if you get accepted. So then there it comes, uh, 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 a semester of not studying. Okay. So I was able to continue working at ELAC because people already had known me there. They know me for a long time, so they kept on telling me, oh, you have to come back to the tutoring lab. Oh, you have to come back to this program. Mm -hmm. uh, we need you in the Jaime Escalante program. So they kept on telling me, like, we need you for all of these different things. Right. Um, so by the time I transfer, um, by, by the time I could apply again for, for the fall semester to Costa Long Beach, I, I go there and... I, even though that I, I ended with a master's in applied math, but all my electives are in statistics. Mm, okay. uh -huh. So I wanted to have like a combination of everything because I really like the math part mm -hmm. of it. Right. I'm always the person of why is this true? Why, where did this formula come from? <laughs> <laughs> and I think what people don't really understand is the advantage of being a big fish in a small school. So mm -hmm. when I went, I went to UCLA, and, um, you know, you just get swallowed up because it's 10,000 freshmen. Oh. Right? It's 10,000. And it's hard to stand out. But, you know, when you go to a community college and you're great, or you go to a Cal State and you're great, they know who you are. Yes. So if we look at Cal State LA, at Cal State LA a bunch of the teachers are just former students. Mm -hmm. right? Same thing with our math department. I was uh, Professor Padgett, former student. So there's, there's something to be said about being great in, at a community college because it's just a resource that, you know, no one at UCLA, no matter how good my grades were, we're going to ask me to come by and <laughs> we got a job for you, you know, for four months while you're waiting for, for your, to, to re-enroll to a new school. Yes. So at this point, how do your parents feel? Oh, at this point, now they're very happy. Okay. <laughs> now they're proud. <laughs> yes, now I'm finishing my bachelor's, and then I'm telling them, well, I'm going to get married. And then they're like, no, you have to go for your PhD. And I'm like, no, not a PhD. <laughs> <laughs> uh, now you want me to study, right? <laughs> now that you see how great I am, now you want me to go to school. Um, so, I mean, I finish. Um, uh, I go to Castell Long Beach. I I complete my my master's program in um, in applied mathematics with a lot of electives in um, in statistics, 
And even though, I mean, at some point I would take years off. So I took, uh, I remember I took a year off because I got a good job. Like my dad said, you're getting paid a lot of money. I was getting paid like $21 an hour. And I'm like, oh, sure, this is good. The requirements is a bachelor's degree. Sure. So I got hired during recession time. And it was a job for people... Um, it was um, kind of those um, work source centers mm-hmm. um, where a lot of people, my responsibility was to train high school student level to go into the work field. Mm-hmm. So I had to train them in how to write a resume, how to interview, how to dress, and all these little details. Eventually, um, there was a big wave of uh, laid off workers because it was recession time. And um, one of the most difficult assignments I had was that they told me, oh, you have to go to a company and translate for some people. I'm like, sure, I could do that. So I had to go and translate to some people, oh, thank you for your 25 years of work with our company. We're closing. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) And when I was translating this, I literally was breaking down in tears. Yeah, right. And, I mean, I seen this older man... Um, that I would think, what are they going to do after this? What, what are their skills now if they've been doing just one single thing? Um, I stayed there. Um, my job was to help all these laid-off people uh, build their resume, uh, interview skills, uh, dress to impress, and all this. And eventually I said, oh, I cannot continue working for an office and I have to go back to finish my master's. So I had a year left of my master's, and, and I finished my okay. master's successfully. I was so happy. Uh, and then it comes the, the soccer World Cup in Brazil. Mm-hmm. So my, my husband and I, we run to the World Cup uh-huh. <laughs> uh, to have the fun of our life because it's in Brazil. So what better place you want? Uh, soccer, Brazil, everything together. <laughs> <laughs> And, I mean, even though it's just like people would say, okay, soccer, Brazil, and everything, that was one of my dreams I ever had as a child. Uh-huh. I love soccer, and I would enjoy the World Cup so much. So by the time we actually saved our money to make it to the World Cup, it was like a big, big thing for both of us. Sure. And um, at the point, so I finished my master's, we go to, the, to Brazil, and then we come back, and it's time for me to face the real world <laughs> mm-hmm. and start applying for jobs. And um, I, I knew it was a little late because it was already like July, and fall is going to start soon, and we're adjunct, so we see what's left. Right. Now, had you taught at this point yet in the colleges? or So you no. graduated, went to Brazil, came back, and this would be your first opportunity yes. to, to look for a teaching yes. job. Okay. look for a teaching job. Uh, so I come back and I look for, well, I had to rest, sleep for a whole week <laughs> because it was overwhelming over yeah. there. But then I come back, I still, and I start applying for every single place that mm-hmm. I was open. And, um, and I got uh, interv- several interviews in one week. And so uh, Glendale interviewed me, Santa Monica in citrus. Hmm. 
So everything, it was like back to back to back, mm -hmm. like one day after the other. When I go to my job interview in Citrus, right away on the spot, they tell me, can you teach statistics? And I say, yes. They say, well, you have a job. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I come out just screaming, you could imagine. They say, yes, I have a job. It doesn't matter. I just have one class. Now they, the, I already had an interview with Santa Monica and Glendale. Uh, the following day, both of those places also offered me a class. Wow, was it was it statistics as well? No, no they okay. just uh, it gave me a uh, basic math. Okay. Uh -huh. So, how many years did you teach part time before you became a, a tenure track? Oh, great. Two years. Yes. And then, what message would you have for students entering your class? Like, what advice would you give that if you're going to take me, this is how I am, this is how I teach, these are my expectations, these are the students who like me. Okay, so. I never realized until many students eventually throughout the time told me that they, one thing they like my class because I smile a lot. Mm -hmm. I never noticed that until they mm -hmm. told me. Um, I try to be very approachable. I let my students ask me questions at any point during lecture. But I expect very hard work. Mm -hmm. And I feel that the reason that I expect very hard work is because I was very hard worker as right. a student. So I feel that if I work this hard to get through school, I expect the same thing. Right, right. I wonder if it's sort of tied into that is this idea of it's, especially with math or the other subjects, it's not that a student can't do it, but to what extent and how hard are they working and what's yes. the process behind their yes. work? And like I told you before, I was not an A student. Mm -hmm. I was B student. I would say that that's my average, a mm -hmm. B student. and. Usually, sometimes they consider that B students are the ones that work very hard. Mm -hmm. It's not like just A and you're super smart. Um, and I feel that that's, uh, even my husband, he's a mechanical engineer now, and we both grew together into this path of science, how mm -hmm. difficult it was. And we both have the same idea of you don't need to be smart. Mm -hmm. You have to work hard. Right, yes. right. So... We don't have to be the book smart or anything like right. that. You just have to really not go party, not go to the birthday party. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. you, we have to learn to give out things. Right. And then eventually you'll go to Brazil to party. Sort of the the short-term <laughs> sacrifice for the, yes. the long-term yes. payoff and then yes. save that celebration for later. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh -huh. yeah. Go ahead, Jack. So what, what advice do you have to other sort of people who want to become a tenant track professor? Why do you think? Why do you think we hired you? Like, what do you think it is that that makes you an attractive professor for us? Um, uh, a feedback I have heard. One a feedback comments I have heard. They say I got hired because I'm Mexican. Okay, mm. so I don't have to hear that because, like I have told you before, I have worked very hard. Right. I have worked very hard to be who I am, where I am. Um, and I believe that when I came to my job interview, like I'm telling you, I went to my, when I came back from Brazil, even as an adjunct, I would go to the job interview and I got every single job, every single job. So now that I apply for the full time, I don't think it was just because my ethnicity. Right. I really feel that I have a passion for it. 
I have a passion for teaching. So anyone who wants to be a, that wants to become a teacher, I always say, are you sure? Because I don't think it's that easy. Mm-hmm. I think that you really have to have some ability to communicate with the students to really send a message across of whatever you're teaching. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I came to my full-time job interview, I really show myself. I really, even though you're so nervous behind the desk, <laughs> um, you really have to really work for, try your best. So I tried just to be teaching the way I would teach in a regular class, mm-hmm. pretending that it was my class instead of pretending it was a panel of committee hiring me. So basically being good in the class. Being good in the class. Being good in the class makes you yes. good in front of other people. Yes. Yes, yeah. yes. And as a person who's been in many hiring committees, I wasn't in yours, <laughs> but I was in a bunch of them around them at the same time. We can't take ethnicity as a, as a, as a criterion. I want to believe so. <laughs> We're not allowed to. It's illegal. We actually have someone who watches to make sure that our conversation never says that. Mm-hmm. Now... I was not in your hiring committee, but I can tell you that's a guarantee. But I will tell you that when you were hired, and then you were Spanish-speaking, uh, native Spanish-speaking Hispanic student, I thought that that, re- that experience was going to be a great asset to our school. Because how do you attract people to STEM, right? We have this big STEM program where we try to attract minorities to it, where every person who comes up to talk about it is Asian or Russian or Armenian. and so. I think you being Hispanic is a huge asset. Your story is a huge asset. It's, an, it's a story that we don't have at the school in the math department, but it's not why we would hire you. We hire you because mm-hmm. of your skill, and that part happens to also match what we need. Mm-hmm. Yes, and just to add that, um, something that I've been working along with uh, Lucien is that we've been promoting or um, we've been working on panels for, the, for STEM. Sure, right. And, um, Last semester, we were successfully to bring the engineering panel, uh, and I will say I was the one in charge of it, to All bring right. the, the speakers. Yeah. And I brought my friends from MILAC, the ones that are engineers now, right. Mm-hmm. even right. my husband. <laughs> right. And they share the struggle, just like mine, how many times they, they had to repeat a class. They actually point out that I was their tutor when we were at ELAC. Mm-hmm. And, and last week, we had a panel for, for women in STEM. Yeah. And I brought two of my other friends, also engineers now. And, and I think this work you're doing is, is really important. Yes. Because we can just sort of see that you have this counselor who looked at you and didn't think you looked like a person who was in science. Yes. Right? Because mm-hmm. really, what do they know? They looked at you, they, made an ex- they had this expectation, and then they went with it. And we have a lot of those same expectations, right? And just being able to see someone who's a minority, seeing someone who's a woman, articulately speak that this is something I love to do is really powerful. And I I think these things that you're working on has been a really great um, part of the math department, that's something we couldn't do before you were here. Oh, good. (laughs) I I think something as, as sort of that circle you know, draws a little bit wider and you start to talk about the STEM program and the PASO grant with, with Liu Shin, that's an opportunity too for, for more students to sort of understand the, the possibilities that the STEM pathway will provide. And I'm sure that's something in, in one of our future podcasts here, we'll be able to dig into the, that yes. PASO grant in a little more detail. Yes. Um, 
as, as we sort of come to the, perhaps the end of our interview with you, or at least maybe part one, because I feel like there's a lot more to talk about with you, Anna. Um, <laughs> a, a question maybe here, as you've described your journey, um, what you, you've, I think, already shared a lot of strategies, but if we had to sort of, of boil this down into one, what's the one thing you would like to share with students at any level as they move forward with their academic life? I think as they move into their academic life is they have to work hard. I think that, um, like we always hear, hard work pays off, and it, it is true, mm -hmm. it is true. I, like I didn't see it, even when I was a student, I didn't see it. I saw that my classes were difficult. Even when I was in my master's program, I kept on asking myself, why am I doing this? Mm -hmm. And I stayed there. So it's, it is difficult, work hard, and don't give up. Right. Because now when I see everything I have, uh, like for instance, now I own two homes, which is impressive. Right. <laughs> and I remember being a student and honestly being sometimes a negative budget because I would run my credit card without realizing that I was already at zero. Right. So I was at zero dollars at some point, negatives, you know, and now that I realize everything I have accomplished is, is really a dream. Right. And it's, it's impressing, it's shocking. And, and I do look back at those days, the dark days. So I feel like the dark times where I really struggled through my classes, and, but I had to work very hard for, that, for it and not give up. Now it takes me where I am. Right. Wow. Well, thank you so, so much for, for coming in today and, and sitting you. down and sharing with us uh, really a, a truly an incredible and inspiring journey from, from where you started to where you're at now. Um, for students at, at Valley College, if, if they want to connect with you, can they find you in the, the math, mathematics department on campus? Yes. All right. I'm in the MS 104. Okay. <laughs> um, I have a lot of meetings because Luz Sheen has me working on stuff. <laughs> uh, but uh, yes, definitely, hopefully in the next few weeks, uh, I will be definitely available. And, and yes, we're working in a mentoring program and where we're trying to reach out to those students to tell them it is possible to stay in STEM. Even though it's difficult, it is possible. Great. Mm -hmm. So thank you. Thank yeah. you for having me. And thank you very much. Uh, you know, it, it's hard to know, you know, who's sitting next to you in the, in the office next to you. But, you know, at the end of the day, what I found out is that there are very few kids that grew up saying, someday I want to be a community college teacher. And most of us got here through a side channel. That something happened where we found out that this was a place for us to be, but it wasn't part of the first plan that we had. Yeah. Right? And it was a real honor to just hear your story. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Anna. The Valley College Connection podcast is dedicated to sharing the dynamics of our community and supporting the fascinating lives of students, faculty, and those in pursuit of college life information. The Valley College Connection podcast is produced by KVCM and supported by the LABC Academic Resource Center. The content heard on this podcast does not reflect the faculty, staff, and students of Los Angeles Valley College.